Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And as we chat today, celebrating some history for the nation, Canada winning its first ever Billie Jean King Cup title, Mike. And what a week it was. Absolutely. And for those who've been covering the sport for for many years, this is just a culmination of so much hard work, so much development at the grassroots level uh, from Tennis Canada, the coaching, the uh, the structure, the progress that's been happening. And we saw it on the men's side last year with Davis Cup and now the women doing their part as well. It's really fantastic. And to help us break it down is someone else who's been covering the sport for a long time here in Canada, our friend Arash Madani. Arash, thank you so much for taking the time after a busy week, a very busy day to help us break down this monumental achievement. Yeah, great to be with you, fellas. What a day, what a week, what an achievement, um, all of it. Yeah, it's. um, I I have to ask, I mean, you've been covering so many of these ties, Davis Cup, Billie Jean King Cup, of course, formerly Fed Cup. Do you recall the first tie that you covered um, for Canada on the women's side, what that was, maybe who the players were? I'm curious. I don't. Um, I don't remember that one. I want to say Quebec City. Mm-hmm. Um, probably just as the Jeannie Bouchard thing was beginning to take off. Probably 2013. It was before her Wimbledon breakout. So it may have been either after the Aussie Open semifinals of 13 or after the French Open semis of 13, something like that. Um, I'm getting my years mixed up. I, I'm I'm just, I'm, my brain is mush after the last week. But somewhere around there, um, Quebec City. And um, I'm, I'm trying to remember all the, the players over the years. There was Bouchard. There was Alex Wozniak. There was Carol Zhao. There was Francoise Abanda. There was my broadcast partner, Sharon Fitchman. Can't forget her. Um, the constant through it all, guys, has been Gabby Dabrowski. The anchor. The anchor in doubles and what an important you know key role she's played over the years. But, you know, in all these ties that you've covered, Arash, I wonder if you can sort of recall what it felt like for you in the early days when Canada was relegated to a group that couldn't even dream of cracking the the finals as they did this year for the first time and kind of put into perspective how incredible an achievement this is for our country, considering how far we've come in a, a relatively now short period of time, really, since um, since then. Well, I mean, I mean, if you go back like. 15 years, 10 years. The idea of winning the Billie Jean King Cup, the idea of being world champions, like you may as well have said they're going to just go play on the moon. Um, it, like there was there was no chance. There was no shot. You know, when Fitchman and Fitchman's what now? Early mid-30s? When Fitchman Her started. 30s, yeah. yeah, she's what, 31, 32? Yeah. Man, when she first started playing, they were, excuse me, in like zonal competitions in Paraguay and Uruguay. Um, the Czech Republic has no Guay. Uh, like it's <laughs> it's just the the this meteoric rise has happened. Um, like there's been a lot of ups and downs along the way. There's been bumps along the road along the way. But in the context of what it takes to become a world champion, 
you know, to do it in basically a 10 year span is incredibly quick. But honestly, hand over your heart. Anyone associated with tennis in this country, coach, captain, past captain, anybody who works for the Federation, whatever, player, if you ask them 15 years ago, hey, you're going to be the Billie Jean King Cup champions in 2023, um, you would have gone to the doping room. Forget the player. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, and even this year when you looked at, you know, who we had on the roster and no Bianca still dealing with a, a back injury. Layla, who we knew was going to be a lock for all the singles, if not the doubles as well. We knew Gabby could carry the doubles team too, but we really didn't know the question mark was who was going to play in that second single slot because there were really three viable options. And Rebecca Marino, who's handled that second slot for the last year or two with Bianca and Layla really hardly ever there together at the same time. And Jeannie has some experience. Maybe they throw her in. Marina Stakushik obviously playing terrific, but at a level far lower than this, no offense intended. When you looked at Spain, a, a bit of a weaker Spain team, Poland without Igas Fiontek, thank God. But then you think past that, oh, you know, Czech Republic, there's no, you know, what was your thought heading into this tie in terms of what the potential was given the mix of players we had on the team? So let's go a little inside tennis. We do the whole inside baseball thing. So Last Sunday, one week ago, we're taping this, whatever, Sunday night, a few hours after they win it all. Last Sunday morning was the quote-unquote media day in Sevilla. And we're not there. We're doing it from studio. We broadcast uh, Zoom calls are set up with uh, Heidi and the players. And... I remember finishing the call with Heidi and saying to myself, I don't think she's going to play Rebecca. And then that got me thinking, what are they going to do? Are they really going to go with Marina? Right. Are they really going to go with an 18-year-old who has never played in front of more than 25 people? Who has, like, is this actually going to happen? Because I'm like... I. You know, we talked to Bouchard, and I didn't get the sense that Jeannie was going to go. And um, I was doing some of my prep, watching the great Joshua Dobbs story begin and what liftoff it is from the pastronaut. And the more I thought about it, and the more I was kind of sniffing around the Canadian team, they kept telling me, Stakushic is hitting the hell out of the ball here. She's practicing well. She's on a roll. And at that point, I'm like, what's happening? Like, what's going on? They're going to go up against Spain and Poland, and I get Schwantek wasn't there. Fine. They still have a top 25 player and a top 50 player. Um, did any of us? Nobody imagined this. Nobody. That, that an eight. 18-year-old kid, fresh off the Tevlin Challenger, was going to come in and knock out three top 65 opponents. You couldn't. Yeah, it's, you, it's, you couldn't if you scripted it. It's unbelievable to think about because, you know, I spoke to Stakushich just a few weeks ago, and I asked her about even getting the opportunity to join the team, let alone thinking that she would ever play. And she talked about how surprised she was 
to begin with, just getting that call from Heidi saying like, I, I've been following you in the summer and what you've done. And I, I want you to come to the team. And this so ben, sudden, let me stop you there. Did, did yeah. she tell you about the details of the call? So she just won Berkeley yeah, she's with her mom in California. And Heidi's name comes up on her phone. She puts it on speaker. And Sakushich keeps keeps saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And Heidi says, stop saying that. You should believe it. You've earned this opportunity. Um, it's, look, because of Layla's performance and because of the magnitude of the achievement of becoming world champions, and again, because of Layla's achievement, um, this is going to kind of get somewhat lost in the shuffle, a lot lost in the shuffle outside of hardcore tennis fans. But those three singles performances from Marina Stakushich should go down if there was a Canadian Tennis Hall of Fame as an absolute Hall of Fame moment because that's one of the most incredible athletic performances under the circumstances, with the stakes, and with, like, who is this kid um, scenes that that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was struck when I saw her initially, when I first saw her play about a year ago, her very calm demeanor. I'm, I'm sure you noticed it. Anybody who watched her play this past week noticed it. But just the fact that Heidi was still, even if she had been practicing so well, having the confidence to pull the trigger and send Marina out there in a hostile you know, Spanish environment against the home team. That that was what, you know, really shook me that you are throwing the 18-year-old in that environment with so much pressure. How, how do you think, what is it about her that's maybe handling those emotions so well? Because she didn't look flustered or overwhelmed by the moment at any point in time. Yeah, she got pissed today. Um, she missed an overhead late in the match when, as our friend John Gibbons would say, it was nut-cutting time. Um, and that was the only time. She threw the racket. She was angry. Beyond that, unflappable. Did not flinch. Did not blink. And I spoke with Heidi after the group stage before they faced the checks. And, I mean, fellas, we've known each other a long time. You know how eloquent I am. I said, Heidi, Marina. WTF. <laughs> and and her her answer to that was she's just like, it's incredible. She's an incredible player, an incredible fighter. But this was Heidi's line. She said, she's just got it. Whatever it is, she just has it. And my mind took me back of all the people 10 years ago to Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce, who just crushed the Raptors' hearts. Um, in the first round of the playoffs. And afterwards, he said, I just got it. He said, you can't buy it at CVS. You can't buy it at Walgreens. You either have it or you don't. And I think what we learned this week, guys, is that this 18-year-old kid absolutely has it. And I think Heidi's got it as team captain because that took, you know, that was a bold move. Oof. And not the one we expected from her. I mean, she knows Rebecca very well over the years. She's pretty close with Jeannie as well. They're friends away from competition too. She could have easily gone with either one of them. 
But if we had lost those singles matches, it would have put so much more pressure on Layla to be forced into playing early doubles rubbers against, um, you know, matches against Spain and Poland. And this kept her a little bit fresher for, obviously, when we needed her big time against, you know, the Czechs in singles and doubles. Um, And Italy, she would have gone in doubles as well if needed. So I think really, you know, Heidi needs to, because often the, the team captain in these international events, you just roll out the highest ranked players. It's it it often isn't too strategic, but Heidi played that strategic game and and out captained you know the other nations. Yeah, and and there's a few things to it. Uh, one is nobody knew anything about Stakusic. Those other teams probably scouted Marino and they knew about Bouchard, whereas no one's going to a W twenty five in wherever Spain. No one's going to Berkeley, California, and no one's certainly going to North York, Ontario to scout W60 challengers to find out what an 18-year-old who spent six months on the shelf because of a torn patella tendon, what they're doing. So the element of surprise existed. And the hot hand from the titles. And she was electric in practice from everything that we had heard there. Now, I also believe this and this is no knock on Marino, but I think what happened in April against Belgium stuck with Heidi, that Marino had that meltdown in in her first match of that tie, that Marino hasn't really had many results since, and it's like, you know what? If we're doing this, if we're going to go for it, we have to roll the dice. On top of that, fellas, Gabby Dabrowski didn't arrive in Sevilla until Tuesday afternoon. Competition began Wednesday. She was in the tour finals in Cancun. She went Cancun, Montreal, Montreal, Vienna, Vienna, Sevilla, planes, trains, automobiles in between. So Dabrowski wasn't really used to the court, the conditions, whatever. And she got a couple of basically practice matches with Jeannie to get used to everything. That was a major part of all of this, too. Yeah, Gabby will do anything for her country. And I think that reveals a lot about her character because many top players, for them, the WTA finals in Cancun, that was it. They chose not to come over, the ones who could have. And for Gabby, it was no question. She would have done it no matter how many stops she had to make. And tennis is such an individual sport. But collectively, we've we've really seemed to do well in these team competitions between the ATP Cup, the Davis Cup, you know, uh, even in the Hopman Cup, we used to always participate and there would be Canadians who'd want to go and play in those team competitions. Now the Billie Jean King Cup, which we've won. What does it tell you, talent aside, about the, the mix of character that we have amongst these women on this squad? Because that played into it as well, I think. The camaraderie, the uh, support, and I don't think anyone felt, um, you know, like they were hard done by if they weren't chosen in certain matches either. I think there was a real unity there and they knew that whatever was best for this team um, was the right decision to make. I agree with that. And I think that is Layla Annie Fernandez centered. I believe Layla Annie Fernandez is the glue of this team. She is the leader of this team. She's the one who brings everybody together. And she's become a leader on this team, not because she's trying to be, but because of how she goes about her business, because of how hard she trains, because of how she competes, but also she's a pleasant teammate to be around. She keeps it light. She keeps it loose. She's got a smile on her face. 
She talks smack in the locker room. She likes to play cards with everybody. Like that, that's the vibe and the dynamic. And Layla really likes to play in that team environment. There's something about it when you talk to her, when you talk to Heidi, when you talk to people around it. She likes the crowd. She likes the idea that there's a dozen people right there with her on the sideline. It gives her a boost. It gives her a jump, not just in matches, but throughout the entire environment. And the guys, I don't have to tell you, the two are such a grind. Um, all of this factors in. And she balls her ass off. Right? 8-0, beats the world number seven, the gauntlet that she's gone through. They, they've bought in, and they give a bleep about one another. But it's Layla that's really been a big part of that. And... Look, you you watched the same thing I watched. I wasn't there this time around, but there was a there was a genuine kind of chemistry that existed on that team, and that doesn't always exist, and it's it's not easy to create that. Yeah, and and for me, I I mean Layla Fernandez certainly the MVP of this event without a doubt this season, and when I think of the way she competes and carries herself and we've seen it in other performances we all saw it you know two summers ago at the u.s open she's a big match big stage player uh, what do you think what is it about the quality of her game her personality that seems to it, she seems to tap into a different level um when she is playing for something more than herself and is surrounded by that type of atmosphere yeah, I don't know about the last part, Ben. I really don't. I think just the bigger the moment, the grander the stage, the hotter the temperature, she just comes up and delivers the goods and plays her best. And you can't teach that. Like that, that's innate. That's that's bred into you. Um, there's a want to, and it's so hard to find. And like it doesn't matter what the sport. It exists with the absolute very rare percentage. Look, in August, September, I was uh, lucky enough to cover the FIBA World Cup. And over and over again, down the stretch, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, unflappable for Canada, delivered over and over again for Canada. And I kept asking him, I'm like, dude, what happens down the stretch of these games? He said, look, I trust my preparation. I've been through it before. I, I rely on it. And what Layla say this week, it's the millions of hours on court again and again and again. There is a belief that she has. Now, she's also worked with a mental coach this year, a mental coach that's helped her really kind of extinguish a lot of the negative thoughts and really kind of centered her back to what really matters for her. Let's remember, the start of this year was horrible for Layla. She'll tell you it was an extremely mm -hmm. disappointing year. She says it point blank. For many, for many of our Canadian players. Got to 96 in the rankings in June. Yeah. And, you know, and she said, I thought one of the most interesting things Layla said, guys, she said that especially with, you know, Heidi said when, when Layla's serve goes, starts cooking, her game starts going. And I asked Layla when that really started to happen. She said, after U.S. Open, she said, my whole game started to click. And she said it was in Guadalajara in a loss 
in a loss to Sophia Kennan that she thought it was her best serving day of the entire year. So she leaves Guadalajara late September, comes back to Toronto for a day, and then she goes off to Asia. And what happens? Wins Hong Kong, goes on that eight-match winning streak, and now this. So in the second, not even the second half, the final third of the season, Layla's kind of put it all together. And one thing she told me, she said, I have very clear fitness goals and very clear tennis goals for the offseason. Try to get it out of her. She wouldn't tell me what they were. But she said the goals are as big as they've ever been. Get back to the top 10, get to the Olympics, medal in the Olympics, and keep consistency. Not just one week off, one week on, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just keep the train going at a high level um, for a sustained period of time. Yeah, and I, I mean, one of my next questions was, it, does Layla look like a top 10 player right now? Because you look at the run that she's been on, um, as you mentioned, Hong Kong, eight matches in a row. I think she's won 12 of her last 13 singles matches. And the quality of players she's 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 defeating. Uh, this is an exceptional run. Um, can she make that next leap in 2024? Is can this can be a platform to build on uh, leading into 2024? I, I don't know if this is the platform, just because it's two months away, Ben, from when yeah. they start. It it's it's almost a shame that Australia wasn't beginning a week from tomorrow or something, you know, rather than two months away. But it's a reminder of what she's capable of. You know, a reminder to us, but a reminder to herself. And it's going to be really interesting to see as she gets more and more dialed in. That's that's the other part. Mentally, you know, Sharon looks over at me at one point in the Poland match. And she says, during the changeover, we're in commercial. And she says, she is in a zone. She doesn't even know where she is right now. And I asked Heidi about it. And Heidi said... She's 100% locked in. She said from the time she leaves the locker room on the walk to the court, that entire match start to finish, she is fully dialed in. Um, we forget sometimes, right? She's only 21. And yes, US Open happened two years ago. Um, how much more tennis does Layla have left in her? And what? where can she get to? Um, it's going to be fun to to get the answers to those questions in the coming months and years. Pretty impressive tennis resume for just being 21 years old with what she's accomplished already. And, uh, you know, the accolades and the, the um, you know, props from fellow Canadian players were coming in all over social media from both female tennis players, male tennis players in Canada. It was really great to see. It's nice to see the, the tennis world really, you know, zoom in on our country here. And it's going to happen again in a couple of weeks time with the Davis Cup coming up. So my final question for you, Arash, because I know you're going to be, you know, keeping an eye on that one, involved in that as well, is what are your expectations? What do you think the men are able to do? It's a, a similar makeup to the women's team with a young, established talent in Felix, a strong veteran doubles anchor in Vashik, a returning past star in Milos, and young up-and-coming talent in Galerno and Diallo, who are there as well. You think they can feed off this? And and what are your expectations for what they can do to close out the, the year for Canadian tennis on the men's side of things? I don't know if this is an expert opinion or a hot take, but I don't have the first damn clue. Um, if there's anything I've learned from these things, it's it's honestly, 
I don't know. Look, at the, at the start of this thing, before they put a ball up in the air and they're like, okay, Marina's going to go, I'm like, this is going to be tough to get out of Spain and Poland, even without Iga, even without Bedosa. And then they did, and I'm like, this is terrific. Good for them. They get to the semifinals for the first time in 35 years. Awesome achievement. But they're running into the checks. Right? They're running into the world number seven, the world number 10. They're running into the best doubles team in the world. Uh, okay. Awesome. But um, they completely defied expectations. They were beyond belief. What are the men going to do? I don't know. But I tell you this, hey, no pressure, fellas. The women just lifted the trophy. You guys better follow suit now, too. Um, well, at least Finland? for a very brief window here, we hold both trophies, the men's That's and right. women's. And I don't know how yep. many countries have I don't know how many countries have ever Simultaneously. done that. Eleven have won the Davis and Billie Jean. But how many have had it at the same time? I don't know. We should look into that. We'll get our stats people on it. We've got so many at Matchpoint Canada. Um, Arash, thank you. Alum there, you got a master researcher and mathematician and economist right. and accountant and well, don't give away, and... don't give away all our secrets. Okay, yeah. come on. <laughs> we're, we're in contract renewal soon, so let's not give it all away. Um, then, how was the astronomy program at Bishops? Were you able to get into orbit, <laughs> or was that just on uh, Halloween? Yeah, I don't kiss and tell about uh, about that program, unfortunately. <laughs> He doesn't remember. Um, Arash, thank you so much for taking the time. We always love reconnecting with you around these competitions and the National Bank Open, too. So thanks for making the time. Uh, you didn't even hesitate to get back to me. So much appreciated. And uh, and thanks for all you do with Canadian tennis. I mean, the players are doing it on the court, but you and Sharon are also bringing it into people's households with enthusiasm and excitement and a heck of a lot of knowledge, too. So job well done. I appreciate that very much. By the way, Fitchman was... I mean, overjoyed his understanding it. At one point, mm -hmm. she kind of leaned her arm over to me, and the hair on her arm was like spiked up. Uh, it meant a lot to her. And afterwards, she sent a message, not only to this entire Billie Jean King uh, Cup team, but probably every teammate she ever had in the 29 ties that she played for Canada and brought two generations together in this big group message to say, congrats, you did it, amazing. And for all of you who weren't there, you were all part of it too. And uh, and that's 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 Sharon Fitchman in a nutshell, kind of the glue that kind of, uh, uh, that unites all those people. And uh, she uh, she worked her ass off this week. So it was, it was, it was awesome being her teammate this week. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Arash. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up down the line. All right. See you, boys. See you, dude. There he goes, Arash Madani of Sportsnet. My goodness, what a week. What a victory. Uh, I have to say, I mean, I had a very similar thought to Arash when, when they arrived to the semifinals. I thought, what a great success getting out of Group C with wins over Spain and Poland. Marina Stakusic has this unbelievable debut, but I had the feeling it has to end here. And Barbara Krajcikova wins the opening singles match against Marina Stakusic in straight sets. And now Marketa Vondrasova is up for Layla. And the best 
doubles team in the world. Seven-time Grand Slam champion doubles team in Siniakova and Krychikova is waiting in the wings for the doubles rubber if it comes up. I didn't yeah. think I didn't think there was a route to go by that. I, I don't care what the Czech team was ranked. To me, they were the number one team based on who they brought in both singles and doubles, the strength in both of those different avenues. Um, and you're right, after the first one went the way it did, and I mean, how much could we expect from Stakusha? You know, at some point, right? She's up against players that are ranked like literally 250 spots higher than her. Mm-hmm. Um, so really credit to Layla for for turning that one around. Um, but I thought it was going to end there too, realistically speaking. And no, not that we didn't give the the possibility, but I think getting by Spain and Poland already and making the semifinals for the first time since 1988, which is a heck of a long time ago, was already a huge step forward. And so to be able to take it, you know, further and, and once they got past the checks, well, then my mentality, and I think many of ours changed to saying, wow, we're in the driver's seat. Like we really feel like favorites now. Um, and they closed out the Italians in two straight as, you know, we kind of expected on paper, but it doesn't always go according to paper. Cause if it does, Canada wouldn't have been in the finals and just what a collective effort. And I, I think it's really classy that, that Sharon Fishman, it was cool that Arash shared that with us of her thanking past members of the team. Cause I was thinking like, look at Rebecca Marino who sat on the sidelines the entire time, but she's been there before and, and part of the squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Catherine Sabov as well, who wasn't there this time, but was on the squad against Belgium. Um, yep. You know, all of that plays into to getting the squad here. Bianca wasn't there, and I know she didn't rep the team this year because of injuries and whatnot, but, but she has in the past. And you see all those players tweeting, you know, Instagramming, how proud they all feel. And we all feel that way, whether you're covering the sport, playing in the sport, past member, current member. I mean, I think collectively there's, there's so much that people can take from this and, and celebrate it and enjoy it. You know, even at my kids' hockey games today, parents were coming into the room talking about tennis, which you hardly ever hear. So it gets the sport out there. It gets people talking about it. It's going to be all over the news, national airwaves, you know, on Monday and this week. And that's fantastic for sure. hundred percent. And as you mentioned, all those uh, other players and former players, all of them play a role in making a title like this possible. And we, we've talked about the impact of your Milos's and Genies in the past and how cool it was for Bouchard to get back on the team for the first time in five years. Uh, Gabby Dabrowski represented Canada 23 times in the past and our best doubles player to for her to have this moment so special. Rebecca Marino, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Sheriff Fitchman's been crucial in the past. All these players who've represented Canada over the years and decades make this moment possible and now we know heading into the future I mean many more are possible this is not me being a homer it's it's very clear the youth and the talent we have upcoming an 18 year old who looks destined for the top 100 next year in Marina Sakushic I mean there is a lot in the pipeline for Canada and a lot to love and we'll have our eyes glued on Canada's Davis Cup squad as well we know there's going to be a chance yeah, and you don't want to over-anoint Marina Stakushik either and put too much pressure there. No. But I think I think around the 100, you know, 100 mark for next year is definitely within the realm of possibility. And, hey, $2.4 million in prize money went to those women today, and you divide that up, and my math wow. isn't that great, but what a payday for the 18-year-old as well, which will Massive. then help her with training and coaching and physio and all that kind of stuff. So that could go a long way into her future development as well. 
Yeah, she called it the uh, best week of her life. Uh, we will wrap up on the men's side. Of course, we have the ATP finals happening now from Turin. It's underway. We're in the group stage. Just to let you know who's in the groups. One group of uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, Yannick Sinner, Holger Runa, and world number one, Novak Djokovic. In the other group, Carlos Alcaraz, Daniil Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Sasha Zverev, and already Novak Djokovic starting on a winning note, beating Runa in three sets today, and Yannick Sinner getting a straight sets win over Stefano Tsitsipas. If we chat about this for just a few minutes, who, who do you like in this competition, Mike, and, and maybe what are you expecting? I mean, I don't think it matters who I like because there's only one person who I think is walking away with this, to be honest with you. And Similarly to how I felt with the women's final in Cancun, where Iga Sviantek to me really was out to prove something, Novak Djokovic, and it's kind of funny to say it because the 36-year-old, what does he have left to prove? Like nothing. He's like, what, 400 weeks as, as number one player or, or, or close to that mark, all the grand slams and everything. But he's out to prove something, and he wants to end this year as number one, and he wants this title. And so I don't see anyone taking it from him. The layoff after the U.S. Open didn't seem to matter when he played in Paris. Um, I, I think Novak is uh, hands down, especially when you think, you know, Alcaraz hasn't been playing at the same level since the U.S. Open. Um, you know, there's only so many players in there. They're going to push him. Um, I, I think to me, it's his really to lose. And there is history on the line in the sense that uh, Djokovic and Federer are currently tied uh, with the most ATP finals wins ever at six. So Djokovic can surpass him and have the most all time and get his seventh if he is to win. I, I saw some numbers just breaking down the matchups of all these players and when they played one another, all eight of them. Novak Djokovic has a 72% winning percentage over the rest of the field. And you put that into context, the rest of the field all being top five, top 10 players, world number ones like Alcaraz, Medvedev, who's held that slot, guys like Tsitsipas, Runa, who's an incredible young talent, Sasha Zverev, who's beaten him in the past, phenomenal player, Yannick Sinner, who's incredible. I mean, to beat this generation so often, it's just, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. And I will lead actually into that, that I mentioned Yannick Sinner. He's kind of my Darko dark horse here as someone who could potentially break through we look at the type of season he's had what he did in toronto what he's done sort of through the hard court swing in the indoor season i think he could be very dangerous here yeah i wonder if you can take a dark horse pick when it's the top eight players in the world but i hear what you're saying and <laughs> yeah. because of that you know and it's funny because in my notes here i've got a dark horse pick too and it's not center but it's from the other group uh and that's andre rublev who's played mm. absolutely terrific this fall and i see Alcaraz is being ripe for being picked off early. Uh, Zverev, I don't want to talk about Zverev. I don't even think he should be there, but let's not get That's into fair. that on, on this episode. Sure. People who are listening, if you know, you know. Um, but to me, Rublev has been playing so well that I think he's someone to really keep an eye on. Uh, again, not that I think Djokovic is, is going to be taken out here, but yeah, if I had to go a little bit outside the box, I think Rublev, there's a little something about him this fall and the way that maybe his season didn't go completely according to plan. He's been making up for it. And uh, yeah, keep an eye on him. Yeah, uh, certainly. And I, I always like Daniil Medvedev um, in, the, in the summer and fall seasons, for sure. That's a really compelling group. Alcaraz has quite struggled through the summer and fall. So does he kind of find something here? Or does he kind of go out with 2023 with a bit of a whimper and then reset and have a big 2024? I could see that happening. I think as, it's almost well. too late. You know, I think it's almost too late. For, I mean, not that it's, it's never too late, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the momentum has just waned. Yeah. Um, you know, who's someone whose stock is really rising for me is Holger Runa, who had a disappointing 
um, chunk of this season, certainly this summer. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because he's partnered with Boris Becker or or whatnot. There's obviously immense talent there, and he's so young. But he's someone that I would buy stock in for 2024. And even just pushing Djokovic lately a couple of times now, um, I, I think he's getting his mojo back, and, and I think next year could be huge for him. Yeah, uh, I'm with you right there. We'll be following the ATP Finals closely. Big congrats again to Canada World Champions at the Billie Jean King Cup. We can't wait for Davis Cup just around the corner. Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.